And this is an exciting day. Anybody got a hallelujah in the house of the Lord? Come on, shout hallelujah. Come on, lift your hallelujah. Come on, give God the best praise you can find in his house. I raise a hallelujah. It is the highest praise. We are in a month of celebration. We are celebrating Black History Month. And here at Common Ground Northeast, that is a big thing. We're excited about God, what God is doing in our church. And we have the Justice and Rec team, some, some things that we're doing uh, to celebrate Black History Month. If you haven't got your sign, there's uh, some out in the lobby. Make sure you get one of these, put them in your yard or what have you. Uh, but it's a way to show your solidarity and celebration with the church as we celebrate Black History Month. Also, there are some masks that you can get at the back table. So we're excited to be here today to continue this conversation that we have been talking about righteous resistance. And we're looking at times in Scripture and correlating them with things that happen in our history that says that when we go against the grain, when we go against what is normal, when we go against what society expects us to do, and God makes us an exception. And when we are willing to be an exception, then God will do exceptional things. And today we come to celebrate exceptions and accept exceptional people. Today we're going to meet two people, one man, one woman, who uh, decided not to walk in societal norms, to do and to be what society expected of them. And they met their moment. Uh, and because they did, God was able to do amazing things. I hope that I am getting ready to preach to some excited people. Let me hear you. Are you excited to hear God's word this morning? Come on, everybody. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your grace, your goodness, your mercy, and your kindness. Thank you for bringing us here and our online audience for just a few minutes. You're going to introduce us to some dynamic people. And God, we thank you for their sojourn, their life. And God, what we can do today with your help of your spirit is to glean from their lives because we are meeting two people today who met their moment and their content was revealed in their moment. They stood, they did the right thing. And now God, because we know that there's a moment for us, I pray that what we learn today will help us to meet our moment and that we will be overwhelmingly successful. This we believe you for in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Well, I got a couple uh, things to do on my laundry list. Everybody look at me. Got to tell you this. Pardon to me that you know that before I preach to you, that I'm looking at you and I love you. And I love you. So if nobody told you that today, you can check that off. And if you've already heard it, that's just a little gravy on your mashed potatoes, all right? Uh, listen, do me a favor. Come on, lift that cup up before the Lord. And would you humbly say, fill my cup, Lord, and let it overflow. Today we're going to meet a woman uh, early in our uh, sermon today. Her name is Rahab. Joshua 6 mentions her because when the children of Israel finally get to Jericho, which is the first uh, battle that they'll fought, they fought in taking over the land of Canaan, uh, God had them do something uh, a little different. It was a much different military strategy. He had them walk around the city one time for six days. And this is a very familiar story for you. And then on the seventh day, he had them march around seven times. And after the seventh time, he had them shout, and like Jonathan just had us do, lift the hallelujah, lift the praise. And how many know that when we praise God, mountains will fall and walls will fall? And that's exactly what happened. And then they went in, and they took over the land, and they did justice with everyone. They dealt with them because of their disobedience. And the Bible says that in Joshua 6, though, but there was, and we're celebrating today, an exception. The Bible says, then Joshua said to the two men who had spied out the land, go into the prostitute's house and bring her out. Don't touch her. Don't hurt her and all who belong to her in accordance with your oath. So the young men who had done the spying went 
in and brought out Rahab, her father and her mother, her brothers and her sisters, and all who belonged to her. They brought her out and her entire family out and placed them outside the camp. Verse 25 says, but Joshua spared Rahab, the prostitute, with her family and all who belonged to her because she hid the men Joshua has sent as spies to Jericho, and she lived with them. So in, in 1989, tell me if you remember this, uh, Spike Lee uh, released his movie, his new movie, Do the Right Thing. And what Spike Lee didn't tell us is the right thing is an elusive concept. And so what happens is really hard to discern situationally what is always the right thing to do. And so then in our flesh, what most of us end up doing is what feels right to us. And we end up doing the, what we think is the right thing. But in order for us to do what is godly right, we have to have a definition that the right thing over time comes from someone who has a spirit of righteousness. And in our flesh, we cannot be counted on to continually and pervasively, perpetually do the right thing because the spirit of God, when it is not dwelling on the inside of us, none of us can be counted on to do the right thing. And so then what does it mean if we're talking about righteous resistance? What does it mean to be righteous? And it means a person or conduct that is morally right or justifiable, that is virtuous, acting in accordance with, watch this church, divine or moral law. And it is arising out of a sense of justice or morality, righteous indignation. And so it comes from God that the more we get, take on God's character and the more we take on God's spirit, then our actions, our output can more be counted on to do the right thing. In today's subject, we, sermon, we meet a lady named uh, Rahab. She did the right thing. She had a stigma. She had a label that she had to overcome. But there was a moment for her, just like there will be a moment for you and I, that revealed who she really was. Society called her a prostitute, but God called her a prophet. And it was then this moment that her real character was revealed. And let's look at her story. We celebrate her today because she was an exception. She didn't do uh, what they had called her. She rose above her title. She rose above her label. And then today, God is calling you and I to work from the content that he has given her. Let's go to Joshua 2 and reveal a little bit of her story. And I think that as we look at her story, it will show us how we are supposed to act when God gives us that moment. So the Bible says in Joshua 2, Then Joshua, the son of Nun, secretly he sent two spies to Shittim, and go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went in and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab, and they stayed there. Then the king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab. Bring out the men who came and entered your house, because they have come to spy out the land. Ah, but here's where it gets good. But the woman had taken the two men, and she hid them. She said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, they left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. She sent them on a wild goose chase. You may catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hitting them under the stalks of flax. She laid on the roof. So the men from Jericho uh, set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. As soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up to the room and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did in Sion, to Sion and Og, the, the kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear, and everyone's courage fell because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven 
above and on the earth below. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family. Because I have shown kindness to you, give me a sign that you will spare the lives of my father, mother, brothers, and sisters, and to all whom belong to them. And they simply said, our lives for your life. Church, there have always been conflicts between people of various ethnic, class, sexual, and racial groups. In fact, conflict in our society is a rite of passage. That we seem like we can't get anywhere unless we go through conflict. And these divides are not new because it is the human tendency to work toward one's own self-interest. And it is our inability to do what the Bible commanded us to do, which is to prefer one another above yourselves. But in our flesh, we struggle with that. And because of that, we will always be at this gulf between the human connection and respect and unity. We struggle with unity because we have not learned in our flesh to prefer one another above ourselves. These conflicts between people in particular, they exist between the rich and the poor, between the oppressed and those who are oppressors. There's always tension between white people and black people, between those who are up and those who are on the come up. We just want to do better, and when we want to do better, there's tension and there's conflict between those who have and those who have not, between those who enjoy freedom and those who would like to be free. I'm trying to bust out. I want to live my best life. Those who operate in abundance and those who are scratching, just trying to get a little more. There's conflict. And in particular, for our sermon today, the conflict is revealed in those who are the incumbents and those who are the intended. Those who currently possess the land and those to whom the land has been promised. Do I have anybody here to celebrate that promise is better than possession? God had promised them the land. And I, when I was preparing this, uh, tell me if you ever played this game. Um, I was thinking this is kind of like what we would play uh, when I was a kid on summer night. Uh, any king of the porch people here? Anybody play that game? No? King of the hill, king of the porch? No, no, nobody played that? Okay, if you're new to that game, let me just tell you how it works. The premise of the game is to assume the top position on the porch. And as I aspire or ascend to the top position, it means that to be the king of the porch, I have to knock somebody else off. The assumption is that there's not enough room on the porch for everybody. And so uh, it causes us to be single-focused to get to the top position. And maintain it at all costs. And king of the porch, only the strong survive. And whatever you have to do, all is fair to get somebody off the porch. And unfortunately, as I was doing the sermon, God revealed to me that, that that's not just a kid's game. That for many of us, that's our philosophy in life. And we will do anything to get to the top. Win at all costs. Maintain the top position. And in short, be superior. Don't apologize. We should understand that about this childhood game, and if it is our life philosophy, two things that we should understand. The problem with that is that we don't all start in life from the same position. Some of us start on the steps of the porch. We're close. And some of us start outside the gate. Some of us have greater access. The second thing we should realize in life, if this is our philosophy, is that there's room on the porch for everybody. God made the porch. There are provisions on the porch because God has made a way for all of us. There's room on the porch, y'all, because God has ensured it. Many of us believe that the first person to the porch owns the porch. Thus, they anoint themselves as the gatekeepers of the porch, and when anyone else seeks the shelter, the safety, the security, or the shade of the porch, they will say, halt, who goes there? I'm the gatekeeper. I'm denying you access. 
But do I have anybody that celebrates this? Only one king of the porch. And that's Jesus, the risen Savior. Somebody celebrate with me that Jesus is the king of the porch and the planet. He has made a way for all of us. He has given all of us access. Hang on for just a minute. I'm going to make this make sense. But some people by design have been positioned closer to the porch. Why are some people born into poverty while others are born into privilege? Why are the generations who were born into slavery? Why are the people who live in the comforts of the city of Jericho while some of us are destined to wander in the desert? Are the poor relegated to their circumstances? Are they less deserving? Will the rich always be powerful and lorded over the poor? Are they more deserving? The answer to this is that you and I should note that this was not God's original intent. It was not his design. These disparities in society, they exist because of our sin. They are the consequence of our broken and fallen humanity. It was not so in the garden. There was never supposed to be hierarchy. There was never supposed to be racism. There was never supposed to be classism. But all of these exist, and they are the result of our sin, and they are the fallout of our broken nature. Here's what we should know. We are all broken, and our systems are broken. Our connections have been broken both with God and one another. That's why we struggle to get along. Our systems of wealth distribution, health care, fair housing, community corrections, all of these are broken systems. Unfortunately, the church is no exception. Even the church is broken. Our knowledge and willingness to bring things back into a spiritual, equitable, godly harmony is made difficult because of our personal brokenness. We struggle to embrace God's spiritual and equitable agenda. How did it get this bad? How is it so unjust? How is it so non-equitable? And the answer to this church is in the very etymology of our system. Etymology meaning that which follows from or grows out of an act or course. Our system was born out of brokenness. Greed was our system's mother. Self-centered is our system's father. And we cannot help but to be unjust, inequitable, and unrighteous. In many instances, the system that we live in today is in direct opposition to God and his intent. God's intent is to serve those who are underserved in society. Tell me if you've heard this this week, to bless the quartet of the vulnerable. God has many attributes. He is holy, he is righteous, he is just, and he is equitable, just to name a few. In fact, God operates church with an arm of equity. Everything that God does, all of God's movements, are for reconciliation and restoration. We don't understand that because God moves slow. He allows things to, to exist for a while. But, 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 but even though God moving slow, and today we celebrate Rahab, But God knew that he was bringing them to the Jericho city when he had Moses' mother put Moses in the water. He was planning this. God was always moving, and God is always moving toward that which is equitable and that which is just. So if we are to be restored, and God works through people, then God must raise up a group of righteous resisting peace-loving, justice-loving people. The movement needs people who, like Rahab, are heroic. The movement needs you and I to step up and do the thing that God has called for us to do. The moment needs people 
who will be different and who will cause themselves to be an exception. This is right, precisely what God calls on the righteous. James Fine reminds us that the prayers of the righteous and the powerful are effective. God is looking for righteous resistors. And as you and I said here today, God is recruiting us through his righteousness to resist this systems of oppression. God is looking for people who understand that there's enough room on the porch for everybody. God works through people. He intends to work through you and I. But in order for us to be God's solution in this time and in this city, to be the righteous, y'all, we have to exchange our wretchedness for God's righteousness. There has to be an exchange that we cannot be part of the solution when we are walking and operating in our flesh and in our wretchedness. And so we must be born again. And here's what the Bible says, that when the Holy Spirit comes and when we are born again and when we have a transformed mind and when we have a transformed heart, then all of us can do our assignment. Pastor, what's our assignment? He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of all of us? That all of us would act justly and all of us would love mercy and all of us would love, walk humbly with our God. And y'all, what does that mean in real life and in the application? It means that for some of us whom God has blessed and we spend a little time on the porch and we spend a little time on the steps and God has given us gifts of peace and positioning and power and property and healthy financial portfolios and, and more than we need provisions. What is the demand that God has on us? God simply says to us, Go open the gate for somebody else so that they too can enjoy the blessings of the porch. That I bless you to be a blessing. And that you cannot sit on the porch and not go out and help a brother or a sister get there. You and I are called to be activists. And you and I are called to be abolitionists. Let me get back to Rahab because I'm going to finish here. And make this make sense in just a second. Now they're just about ready to go in. And Joshua releases these spies. And the mission is vulnerable. And the mission uh, hits kind of this bad place because they want to kill the spies. There are three things that we learned from this today. Number one is from Joshua that literally in society there is a fear of people who are on the up and coming. That whenever someone wants to walk in their destiny, that whenever, and she, she verifies this because she says, we're afraid of y'all. That God is moving and we see God moving. But we don't want to get out of the way and we would rather contend. But, but because God is blessing you, it has elicited some emotions inside of us. And she says that there's fear. And at the, at the center of most conflicts, it's miscommunication, misunderstanding, church, and fear. And the people who want us to operate in division just sells us narratives about one another, sweeping narratives about one another. And when we believe those lies, they cause us to be divided. And all of us are operating in some set, uh, some set of fear that I don't know this about you. And so, so when you move into my neighborhood, that, that makes me afraid. Or, or when things happen... That, that I don't understand, that aren't in my culture, that aren't aligned with my principles, rather than have a conversation with you, rather than have a meeting of the minds with you, I just make an assumption about you. I label you, and it's easier for me to label you than to try to get to know you and understand you. Because what I label, I feel justified in not loving. That if I label you, Oh, that's just that white guy over there. Oh, that's just that black guy. It's distant. It's disconnected from me. And that gulf, I'm okay with that. But that's not the will of the Father. The center of most conflicts is fear. Y'all, uh, 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 here's what I would say. That the Bible says, consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials, when people come against you. 
anybody that's moving forward, anybody that's advancing, if you're trying to advance your marriage, you're trying to advance your home, you're trying to advance your children uh, and, and, and your career, if God is in it, it's going to be opposed. Somebody's going to be mad at you. Somebody's going to hate on you. There's going to be forces that come against you. But, y'all, we've been commanded to count it all joy. We've been commanded to think it not strange when these things come against us. Because the Bible says they are making us complete so that we're lacking nothing. Look at your neighbor and say, that ain't breaking me, that's making me. That's not breaking me, that's making me. You coming against me doesn't break me. So number one, there's fear. There is a fear factor when God is moving in my life that someone is afraid. Number two, what we learn from the text is that there's always conflict when we want to do the things that God has called us to do. That you and I have been commanded that inasmuch as Christ has suffered in the flesh, that we should arm ourselves likewise. That when we come together and say we're going to have a multicultural, multi-ethnic church, and that God's spirit is going to be pervasive in here, and that which used to divide us uh, through the hand of the enemy, we're going to get past that. Y'all, you, y'all know we don't get, just get to walk into that, right? Y'all know we have to fight our way to that, right? That, that, that nothing is gained. Because the Bible says that the kingdom of heaven suffers violence. But the violent have to take it by force. We have to come together and understand we have to fight our way there. The Bible says that, have not I commanded you, Joshua? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Don't be discouraged. Because the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Yes, there's going to be a fight, Joshua. But I am with you. And here's what Second Chronicles said. Then the Spirit of the Lord came on Haziel, the son of Zechariah. He said, listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem. This is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid and do not be discouraged because of this vast army, because of all of these forces, because there's not a great history that says that common ground can be the type of church that God has called us to be. And so if we're looking for a lot of examples, we won't find them. But we can find our peace and our solace in God. And look what the writer says. For the battle is not yours, but it's God's. That what we're walking into is already ordained of God. God has already given us this land. The people who live there now, they're not the owners. They're just occupiers. Somebody, when God says, I'm going to give you houses you didn't build, and you're going to get fields that you didn't plant, somebody has to build those houses, and somebody has to plant those fields, but celebrate with me that God has said that I am the owner of that. And they have to move. There will always be people who fight against us when we are moving in the way that God has called us to move. And then finally, number three, there is favor for those of us who righteously resist. The Bible says, but the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She didn't, when the king came out to say, hey, where are they at? We want to kill them. Because they mistakenly think that if they can kill two men, they can also kill the movement. That if you assassinate Dr. King, you're going to assassinate the movement. So they want to know where they are so that I can stop the move of God. They want to know that they are so I can stop upward mobility. They want to know where they are so they can stop equity. They want to know where they are so they can put a hold on justice. They want to know where they are so they can maintain the status quo. We want to kill them because we value things the way that they are right now. And so now this pendulum swings and and everything, the move of God, is vulnerable to what's inside this woman. Now we find out who she really is. Is she the prostitute or is she the prophet? And God and life is going to bring you to a moment like this as well. 
And it won't matter what people call you. It won't matter what people think of you. Somebody celebrate with me. It will only matter what God has put on the inside of you. She met her moment. She was a righteous resistor. She no longer recognized the king's authority. No, you're not the king. God is the king. And so I do not have to answer to you. And so she hid the spies. She did something that made her, that was exceptional, but so that the plan of God could move forward. And you and I are called to do that same thing. Here it is, church. Resisting didn't make her righteous. But because she was righteous, she had to resist. It was who she was. It was inside of her. It was the natural flow of God's presence in her life. That if I know God and in I'm with God, and if I am praying and every day there's less of me and more of God, then I take on his character. And then, Spike Lee, that's how I ultimately do the right thing. The first thing she had to do, though, before she could resist the king, and this is for you, because I'm just about finished. She had to resist the little voice on the inside that told her, somebody else can do it. That told her, they're going to find out and they might kill you too. She had a Moses-type uh, a moment. There was a voice inside that said, you're just the prostitute. You're just doing what you had to do. And matter of fact, we don't blame her for that because she too had been victimized by this system and this society. Has anybody like me and Rahab did what you had to do for a season? She had to resist that little voice that was on the inside that says, just chill as long as you're not a part of the problem, you cool. But she would not rest there. By this time, there was just a little bit too much God on the inside of her. She had been to too many Bible studies. Her house church was too strong to stay right there. And so she prophesied to them. She protected them. And she instructed them. She did the thing that society would not have expected of her. Her label and her title never gave us insight into this. But she had end-time insight from God. And let me tell you where it got her. But Joshua spared Rahab, the prostitute, with her family and all who belonged to her because she had hid the men Joshua sent as spies to Jericho. And she lives with them that when you do something exceptional for the cause of God, for the quartet of the vulnerable. When we give to the poor, then we lend to the Lord. And you cannot beat God's giving. Nobody here is going to outgive God. And the disciples came to him. I'm just about finished. And they said to him, but well, we gave up everything to follow you. And they were checking him and they were indicting him. And they were saying, like, look, 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 how has it benefited us? Jesus called a timeout and said, hold up. Nobody, nobody that's with me who has given up houses and lands, nobody that has sacrificed for the cause is going to be the worst for it. That you're going to get it all back and then some. And wait a minute, I'm not just talking about heaven. You're going to see it in this life because you can't outgive God. What are three things that we learn from Rahab's example? I'm going to be about to give you three things that I think Rahab in her righteousness, because here's what she said. Here's what she said. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear of everyone's courage, failed because of you. And here's what she said, church. 
Here's the premise on which everything stands, and that if you too have this testimony, you can never be the same again. Once you say what Rahab said, and I'm about to tell you what she said, your life is not your own. If you want to maintain your identity, never say what Rahab said. If you want to do your own thing, never say what Rahab said. If you don't want to be a participant in the kingdom of God, never say what Rahab said. Because Rahab said, your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. That once she recognized who God was and she professed God, then her life changed. She could never be the same again. She could never be uh, this label that they gave her. She could never be less than who God had called her to be. And there are some of us who are comfortable living just below what God has called us to live. And there are some of us who do not want to be out there and risk it. And so we never make the full profession. But you've been going to church too long. And God is calling you out. Pastor, then what are the three things? One of them is low-hanging fruit. I almost hate to say it. But, but here's what Rahab says. It's going to be so easy here at Common Ground Northeast. And the only reason I'm going to mention, because I just got to start somewhere, and it builds. Here's what Rahab knows. That this righteousness that God has placed within me, this, the way I used to be, this, this I once was blind, but now I see transformation. Uh, this, this thing that God has done. It led her to this, and this is what she showed us. That I cannot be righteous while also being racist. That's low-hanging fruit. I understand that. I just heard everybody in the church say, duh, right? I heard y'all. I heard y'all. Go ahead and look at your neighbor and say, are we paying him for that? Did we really pay him for that? Come on, everybody. I heard y'all say that. I heard y'all. Like, duh. That I can't participate in discrimination and be righteous. Right? Look at somebody say, low-hanging fruit. Low-hanging fruit. All right, here's the second one. Here's what Rahab showed us. I also cannot be righteous and be okay benefiting from a racist system or society that when it blesses me, it burdens somebody else. That's the next level. That's still easy right here. I know, I know that's still easy right here. Okay, Pastor, we, we haven't seen where you earned your... Did they pay you this week? <laughs> I, I, I know, I know, I know. I know, I know. So I can't sit by. The more righteous I become, the more I'm aware that if it blesses me while also burdening somebody else, I just can't be cool with that. All right? Here's the third level of righteousness. Y'all ready for it? That as I mature in my righteousness and there's more of God and less of me, that to be truly aligned with God in righteousness means this, that as I mature in my righteousness, I have to be willing to fight and fight against racist systems of oppression, privilege, that I am called also to love what God loves, and I'm also called to hate what God hates. That I cannot be in God and straddle the fence. That when I sit at Thanksgiving and when I hear people say crazy stuff, and you know I want to chill, but I just came to get some turkey. Can y'all just chill and let me get some of that cranberry sauce? But when y'all start talking all of this stuff, then I understand that it's God and the word of God will say, but who is on the Lord's side? Then the more I become righteous and grow in my righteousness, I oppose what God opposes. And I stand with God. And I stand against 
whatever God stands against. I want to introduce you to someone today. There's a picture up here. We're celebrating Black History Month. This is my main man, Levi Coffin. Now, I know y'all tripping because in Black History Month, y'all didn't expect me to put a white person on screen. I know, <laughs> I, I know y'all didn't. I, like, I know y'all didn't. That was that curveball for y'all right there. Like, everybody swung and missed. It was a swing and a miss. I just want y'all to know. Swing and a miss. But I think it's essential because he's Rahab-esque. He did not do what society was doing, right? He became an exception. And because he was willing to be an exception, God did exceptional things. Let me tell you all about my man, Levi Coffin. I think it's so important to talk about him. Levi Coffin was born in North Carolina October 28, 1798, to a Quaker family who greatly influenced, who was greatly influenced by the teachings of John Woolman, a Quaker preacher who believed slaveholding was not compatible with the Quaker beliefs and advocated for emancipation. Growing up, Levi, in the South, Coffin was frequently exposed to slaves throughout his childhood and sympathized with their condition. I cannot be righteous and be cool with this. By the age of 15, Wilm was helping his family assist escaping slaves by giving them food and shelter on their farm. In 1821, Wilm, this is why I picked him, so Pastor Jody helped me find him, Wilm became a teacher and opened up school for slaves to teach them how to read. Though it was not successful as slave owners would not permit their slaves to attend. In 1826, he moved, guess where, church? to Indiana. <laughs> over, 20, over the next 20 years, he assisted in Fountain City uh, uh, more than 2,000 enslaved persons to escape bondage. My man, right? So many that his house was known as the Grand Central Station of the Underground Railroad. Moving to Cincinnati, Ohio in 1847, he operated the Western Free Produce Association, a store that sold only goods produced by free labor, if slaves made it, he wouldn't stock it, and continued to operate his home as a stop on the Underground Railroad. During the Civil War, he visited numerous contraband camps and continued to aid slaves in their quest for freedom on the Underground Railroad. After the war ended, Levi Coffin, my main man, raised over $100,000 for the Western Freedmen's Aid Society to provide food, clothing, money, and other aid for recently freed blacks. With the war over slavery illegal, a passage of the 15th Amendment granting African Americans the right to vote, Coffin retired from public life and wrote his memoirs. This wasn't popular when he did it but he allowed God to make him an exception. Over 2,000 people rode through his house on the road to slavery. I highlighted him in Black History Month because there is a great precedent for people who were white helping black people get to the place where we are right now. He was an abolitionist. He was anointed by God. He was a Rahab. Like Rahab, he used his house. He used whatever God had given him to move God's cause forward. He fought until God's kingdom came. God's will be done. And his endeavor was to, it should be on earth as it is in heaven. And he would not stop. And we, we're blending a church. And I bet that some of us have the spirit of a Levi Coffin and the spirit of a Rahab. And perhaps you're sitting on your inner Rahab. Perhaps you're sitting on your inner Levi. But I came to tell you today that this is your moment. This is your righteous resistance moment. We're doing something tremendous together. God is blessing Common Ground Northeast. 
We are not what we're going to be. But we have a great start. But we have to do it together. We need Dr. King and we need Levi Coffin. I'm going to say that again. We need all of our leaders. We need everybody to do and be whatever God has called them to be. I'm going to tell you this story, and then I'm done. Um, about six years ago, here's how God works. He's always bringing equity. We can't see it because God moves slow, right? And there have been times, and tell me if you, like me, have ever said, God, you sure are slow. I love you. It's all good. But it seems like, you know, weeping may endure for the night. Joy comes in the morning. My son ain't never rising. <laughs> but God says, I'm always doing this. So six, seven years ago, I went to a laundromat to, to wash some clothes. And I got there at 56 Keystone. And I had a washing machine, but I was washing some large items. And so um, there was this really nice lady there. And she was paying for everybody's laundry. And like she, some church, you know, some church, which was cool because I was passionate and stuff like that. But two things struck me. She was, she was really kind. And if somebody was going to do this, I thought she was doing it the right way. But when she approached me and said, hey, can I pay for your laundry? I'm like, I'm good, sister. I got it. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. You know, I didn't come unprepared. But then she kept circling back and said, are you sure? So I was like, you know, okay, that's cool. So she paid for my laundry and she told me what church she was associated with, and it didn't raise, I didn't know the church, it, it didn't move me, and I, I didn't even remember her name. But when I left, I remember kind of feeling like, man, I passed her right down the street. We've always done well. We've blessed a lot of people, built community, but we never had extra resources where we could do stuff like that. So as much as anything, and as nice as she was, I remember her being nice. But what I more remember was leaving, feeling hurt and down, like, man, God, what's up? We're really working at this thing that it just seems like there's such disparities. It's not her fault, and it hurt me. So I just kept living. Look at somebody and say, keep living. <laughs> just kept living. So about a you know a couple of months ago, I joined this church called Common Ground Northeast. I'm very excited about it. So a month ago, we had an engagement team meeting, except everybody didn't get the memo. So some people were off and some people were on. So it ended up being like Pastor Sam, who's done a great job. Y'all know he he's he's a boss in engagement formation, and he's helping me get up to speed and transitioning. So it's me, Pastor Sam, Sister Nikki, and Sister Abby. So, of course, you know, trying to be good at my job, I was like, well, give me a history. Like, what have y'all done before? And list of this list of things and all of that. It's like, oh, that's cool. And then we do this thing called laundry love. I said, oh, okay, what's up with that? Tell me about that. And they're like, you know, we just go around and bring a bunch of quarters to the laundromat, pay for people's laundry. Oh, that's cool. That's wonderful. No connection. I said, you know, once I did something like that, and some church was there, so that's pretty cool. I remember how I felt. That's pretty cool. I, I went to the laundromat at 56 in Keystone. And Abby said, wait a minute. Did you have paint tarps? I'm like, yeah, I did. That was me. She's like, that was me. I only remember two people, and you're one of them. <laughs> What's my point? So now I'm over the ministry that brought me so much pain years ago. Y'all, God is always moving. So I hung up. Like for me, they kept talking. The meeting was over right there. I was done. I'm like, y'all can stay on. And so when I hung up, God said to me, what's that slow thing you called me? Remember you called me slow? Remember you said that you indicted me and said that I wasn't fair and that I wasn't just? You can say I'm slow. 
as long as you also say that I am sure. Y'all, God is always moving in a way that is equitable. Come on, let's give God praise for the world. I just want to pray right quick. If you're here, if you're here, you've got to go. And through this message, you now know that you're suppressing your inner Rahab or you are suppressing your inner Levi. You know God wants you to do more. You know that God wants you to go to the next level of what it means to be righteous and not be afraid and be bold and be brazen and love what God loves and hate what God hates. If the message moved you today, I just want to pray for you. Would you stand on your feet right where you are? Part of being bold would just be standing today. Part of being bold would just be standing today. If you're online, maybe, maybe the word spoke to you. And you know that God has given you a Levi coffin spirit and a Rahab spirit. Would you lift your hands? Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this word. I thank you for this celebration of black history. And what we must note in black history is that you've always had people who would be an exception and help you advance the cause of hurting and broken people, anybody in the quartet of the vulnerable. God, I thank you for Rahab's and I thank you for Levi Coffins. Because they were willing to break the societal norm and do what was righteous. And now, God, I pray that in this space, in Common Ground Northeast, you have also called all of us to channel our inner Rahab. It doesn't matter what people say. We're willing to risk it all. We're doing it because it is righteous. And I pray now that you're giving someone a boldness. You're giving someone a determination that they're just a little bit too right to ever go back to the way they used to think. They got just a little bit too much righteousness to ever participate in things and conversations that they used to participate in. It's forward only. They're moving forward and they're embracing your agenda. And God, as we leave, our only mandate is Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. In me and on earth as it is in heaven. Lift your hands and say, God, would you start with me? God, would you start with me? Would you change me on the inside? Give me the fortitude of Rahab. And give me the insight and the boldness of Levi Coffin. This we believe you for. Come on, everybody, give God praise in the house.